This is Bob Morris on topics about desert horticulture. Join me this week as we discuss why citrus might not be as productive this year as in previous years, why a Lisbon lemon, when taken out of a whiskey barrel, might stop producing fruit. Is landscape fabric really necessary when doing desert landscaping? And after six years of having a lawn, it's finally replaced by desert landscapes. Join me now on this topic and more as we talk about desert horticulture. Learn more about desert horticulture by signing up for my blog, Extreme Horticulture of the Desert. That's all one word, Extreme Horticulture, and starting with an X. Take some of my classes on Eventbrite if you're in the Las Vegas area. That's Bob Morris on Eventbrite. When I prepare my newspaper column for the Las Vegas Review Journal, I usually have uh, some questions that I prepare, that I receive from readers. And uh, those questions, I just uh, put together some answers that hopefully answer those questions. But this particular week, the first week of January, I uh, had some concerns because I knew after I saw the ice in the roads that I was going to get some uh, questions from people about uh, not producing any Myers lemons or any of the citrus fruits that are might be flowering at this time of the year. And Myers lemon is one of those that uh, does flower at this time of the year, January, February. Uh, and if the flowers were open, uh, those freezing temperatures that came through they were enough to make ice in the roads, slush that was frozen. Uh, it, it would have destroyed. It would have destroyed the crop. <clears throat> any flowers that were forming, any flowers that were open would have frozen. It was a good hard freeze, at least where I was uh, at. And I'm sure most of the valley was in the same, was in the same category. So what's going to happen is the flowers are open. The ovaries are exposed to the cold air. It got to below 32 degrees. And so they were out and out killed, and there would be no fruit. So the, the ovary will drop, the flowers will drop, no fruit will be produced. Or unless they flower a little bit later, you might get a lingering of some fruit. But the tree will look healthy. The tree will be fine because its, it's uh, temperature, its low tolerance temperature is going to be like 22, 23, 24 degrees. But <clears throat> the flowers, once they're open, and that's true of any of the f- fruit trees, if the flowers are just starting to swell, there's a, you know, it's maybe tolerant to about 28 degrees. And, and then as they begin to open, tolerant to maybe 30, 31 degrees. And when they're fully open, any freeze at all comes through and the flower is dead. And of course, no fruit will be produced. Then if you're combining that with any kind of wind at all, it's going to make things even worse. So if you've got your citrus trees in a place where there's wind channeling between the houses or it's in the backyard where it's exposed to wind, that cold temperature is just going to be that much more damaging than if there was no wind at all. So wind is going to make things worse with it. Uh, Also with this, uh, remember uh, microclimates. Microclimates in yards. If you have a south-facing face, landscape or a west-facing landscape, it's going to be warmer than a landscape that's facing north or east. 
those are just typical microclimates. If your house is further away from major arterial ways, roads, uh, it's going to be a little bit warmer. Wind is going to have a harder time getting back into those areas. But if you're close to a major street, that wind is going to have an easier time entering your yard. So consider interrupting those winds or putting in plants that, especially any kind of fruit trees or even your raised bed gar gardens, your raised bed, consider putting those in areas where there is very little wind and also if there is wind, block it somehow or at least divert it in some way so that the wind doesn't affect your production because it will. Wind has a very damaging effect uh, on production. So remember your microclimates as well. But also remember, remember when your citrus trees are not, do not have fruit on them this past year. Remember when they were flowering, what approximate dates they were flowering, and what was the temperature like when they were flowering or close to flowering. And if that's the case, if, if it dropped in below freezing, you're going to have some problems. It's not a bad idea to get a, a recording thermometer. A tailor makes one that you can have that records like five or ten days of the low temperatures for that day. It's not a bad idea to have one. They're not expensive, about $20, $25. And you can buy one on Amazon or any of the online marketing places. The first question that was submitted to me that I addressed in the article this week is I have a dwarf Lisbon lemon tree that gives uh, give, that grows fine and produces lots of lemons in a whiskey barrel. When the barrel began to break apart, I planted the tree in the ground. It did fine at first, but last year, and it looks like this year, I have no fruit. Not sure what I'm what I should be doing. Well, when a tree is growing in a whiskey barrel, uh, it's growing differently than when it's planted in the ground. The canopy is different. The top grows differently because it senses light from different directions differently than it was in the whiskey barrel. The root system itself, the root structure is entirely different uh, growing in the ground versus growing in a whiskey barrel. In the ground, the roots are closer to the surface of the soil. The majority of the roots are within the top few inches and they're there because they can get a hold of air, oxygen, and water and fertilizer and that's where they're going to grow. And that's where they're going to predominate is in that area. But in a whiskey barrel or any kind of a contain container, the majority of the roots are going to grow in mass on that area between the container and the root ball. That's where they're going to really flourish because that's where they can get a lot of air and uh, water, a good mixture. So they're going to grow there and also at the bottom of the container. If it's porous, they're going to grow very close to the edge of that because they can get air through a porous surface like a whiskey barrel. In a plastic container, they don't. Also keep in mind, when you're growing plants in containers, the side of the container towards the sun is going to be fairly damaging. So make sure that, uh, that when the heat of the day approaches on, and the sun is shining on that container, make sure that the soil is moist and hasn't gotten dry. But anyway, regardless of that, so now you've got a tree growing in a whiskey barrel. The top of the tree is growing in a certain way depending upon where the light's coming from, and it can be moved. Now the roots are also growing in a totally different 
pattern than they would be growing in the ground. They're growing in mass around in the inside of that container, and in the ground they're growing on the surface. So now you're going to plant that tree in the soil. What's going to happen? Well, the tree has to adjust. So the roots that were growing in mass on the edge of the container, they're going to die. And the, the roots that are towards the surface are going to flourish. So you'll find that the root system will all die back deeper into the soil. And that root system has to grow and support the tree in a new direction and in a new environment. And that takes energy. And that energy may be taken away from production of fruit and flowers and may be diverted towards new growth, especially if that plant is happy. If that plant is happy and it's growing into its new environment, it may not have any flower or fruit production for a year or two, but what you'll see instead is some really nice growth. You'll say, wow, that tree is happy there, but why isn't it flowering and fruiting? It's because it's adjusting. So give it a chance to adjust. Give it a year, maybe even two years, and it will start to flower and produce fruit again. And you'll like it. You'll like it. The other thing that can happen when plants grow in containers, if they're left too long in a container, the roots can grow, start growing in circles. And we call that being root-bound. And when they start growing in circles, they grow in mass in circles. They start to bend a certain way. They start to grow in circles. And then putting that tree into the ground they don't care. They still can grow in circles. They never, the tree never gets established fully because that mass of roots has been accustomed to growing in a circular pattern. And now you've put it into a soil and with that root mass still in circles and it just continues to grow and never gets established, still continues to grow in circles. So what do you do in a case like that? Well, first of all, you can observe it because that tree will not be very vigorous. When you put it in the ground, it will not be happy. It will be about the same way as it was in the container. It will not get established into the surrounding soil. The roots won't extend themselves into the surrounding modified soil, amended soil, and start to get established. You'll see it on the top of the tree. The tree will just not be vigorous. <clears throat> Excuse me. It will not be vigorous. If that's the case, and you've seen it doing that for a year, time to get rid of the tree. Get rid of it. Get something else, put it in because it will never firmly establish in the surrounding soil. So keep your eye on the tree. If it's growing really well, then don't worry about it. Let it get adjusted to its site and it will start to flower if it's getting enough light. It'll start to flower and produce fruit again. Okay, so the second question I had sent to me has to do with uh, landscape fabrics. I'm changing over to desert landscaping. Should I bother with landscape fabric under the rock if I will have desert plants and small rock covering the soil surface? Do I need to rototill my entire yard or just amend the soil uh, under the succulents and cacti? Typically, we don't rototill the whole area. We just go ahead and dig holes for the plants that are going into the areas that we want. Start on a basic landscape plan. Put it on some graph paper and start to outline in its mature size where these plants are going. And then when you're digging the soil, have it a little bit moist at the time that you're digging it. But dig the soil about, if, about three to five times the size of the container. I say three to five because 
I at least want you to dig it three, and it would be better if you dug it five times the diameter of that container. So if it's a five-gallon nursery container, then put it on the ground and mark an area about three to five times that size, and that's the size of the area that you're going to dig, <clears throat> you're going to excavate, you're going to take that soil out, you're going to mix compost with it in about a one-to-one -one ratio, volume ratio, of compost to soil, and then you're going to dig that hole no deeper than the container itself. You want that plant, root ball, to sit on top of firm soil. If you have to dig it deeper, then put some soil back and then firm it up really well. Make it hard enough so that it's not going to sink because if you dig out too deeply, if you dig that hole too deeply and you put the plant in, there's a chance it could start to sink. There's a chance it could sink afterwards. So make sure it's firmed up or at least hard. And then put the plant in. As you're putting the amended soil back into the hole, then add water to it as well to get rid of the uh, air pockets and any kind of uh, loose aggregates that might be in that mix as well. You'll see bubbles coming to the surface when you do that. And then wa water it in uh, two or three times. Make sure that all those air pockets are gone. And that plant should be pretty firm in the soil. It shouldn't move. But if it's a plant that needs staking, then go ahead, get a stake. Get, you can take the same nursery stake that came within the container. Just make sure that you drive that nursery stake through the container root ball and into the solid soil beneath it so that it stays, it doesn't let the plant roots move. What you want to do when you stake the tree is you don't want the roots to move. You don't care about the top. It can move back and forth. You just don't want to leverage or for those roots to move because they're trying to get established in the, into that soil. Then the first couple of days, water it really well, settle that soil in around it, make sure it's at the proper level, should, which it should be the same level at the container, the top of the root ball was in the container. It should be in that surrounding soil. Water that in, drive that stake in, and wrap it with some green nursery tape to hold it tight for one season only, and then you can cut it loose after that. But uh, that would be my recommendation, is to go ahead and plant those, but also, the more important question here, I guess, is about the landscape fabric. And that's really what he was getting at. I'm not a big fan of landscape fabric. You know, that is a geotextile. It was developed primarily for nursery crops, or it was used in commercial nursery crop production, where it was laid on the surface of soil, and it was supposed to save labor costs because it would smother the weeds and it it had it was porous so water and air could get through it could get to the soil beneath it it wouldn't it wouldn't accumulate water like plastic can so the containers would go on top of that landscape fabric aka weed barrier and you didn't have to spray or spend money pulling weeds or anything else it just smothered it kept it in place then the landscape fabric was also started to be used in desert landscaping a lot of Landscape architects will spec uh, landscape fabrics uh, now uh, and the weed barriers so that after everything is planted, the weed barrier is put in place and uh, then the rock is put on top of that weed barrier. Whatever you do, don't use plastic. Don't use black plastic underneath rock. It won't work. Guarantee it. 
after a few years it'll break apart and it'll start poking its head through the rock and it's a it's it's a miserable mess to try to get rid of it after it starts poking poking through you're going to save money uh, on it don't do it by by uh, buying the, the black plastic and putting it under the rock the landscape fabrics i'm not a big fan of because uh, some of our most severe weeds our biggest weed problems common bermuda grass nut grass grow right through weed barriers they don't care they grow right through them they, they won't even stop them so it will stop some weeds, probably about 90% of the weeds, but some of the really tough ones, uh, like common Bermuda grass and like nut grass, won't do a thing. So then you go ahead and put two inches of uh, rock, crushed rock on top of it. And then over the years, uh, wind blows across it. Dirt is in the wind, as it often is in the desert. That dirt just falls into the rock and then makes a really nice uh, little raised bed in the rock and on top of the landscape fabric uh, for growing weeds. That's a nice area to, <laughs> to, to grow. So anyway, the landscape fabric uh, fails on a couple of different measures. One, it doesn't suppress some of the worst weeds. And secondly, it can actually act as a raised bed in growing, helping to grow weeds. Instead, if you're going to save some money, or if you're, instead I would use that money that you're going to save and buy and put down a thicker layer of rock mulch. So the landscapers typically will use two inches. I would really think you're going to get a much better control of weeds if you go up to three inches on the rock rather than two inches. That's a 50% increase in the amount of rock that you put down, but I think it'll be worth it for you uh, in suppressing weeds and keeping the landscape looking good with that. So landscape fabrics, I'm not a big uh, fan of. Uh, some people are, but uh, I'm not. And instead, uh, put a thicker layer of rock mulch down. The next uh, question I have, the last question. Oh, no, second. The, the third question is, I'm changing over to desert landscaping. No, I just did that one. After six years of trying to have a beautiful lawn in Las Vegas, I finally gave up. The water company has offered me $3 per square foot to convert to water smart landscaping. What should I do? Do I add more rocks and plants, artificial turf, and what trees should I use, if any? If you use trees, first of all, yes, you want to in desert landscaping, if you're going to pull out the lawn, the desert landscaping uh, that you do put in, make sure that you shade the south and west walls and windows of the house or building. If it's a single-story single story house, then shade that single story. It's not important to shade the roof, but it is important to shade the walls and the windows. So use plants, trees, or shrubs that are deciduous, which means they drop their leaves in the wintertime so that you can get sunlight to warm up the house during the wintertime but not during the summertime. The plants that I would use would be desert-adapted type trees and shrubs, those that have a lower water requirement than some of the uh, non-desert type trees and shrubs that a lot of people use. But focus on, on those. And when you put them in the ground, do a little research. Look up what their mature size is, their mature height. And don't put them any closer to the house 
than about half of their mature height. So if they're going to grow to 20 feet tall, and they're going to shade that south and west side of the building, then put them about 8 to 10 feet away from the house, and then water in that area, keeping the water about 3 feet from, from the house or the building so that you don't have any corrosive problems on the cement and those kinds of things, the steel and whatnot. So locate them about uh, 8 to 10 feet if they're 20 feet tall, and if they're smaller than that, you can go closer than that, but keep the water about three feet, no closer than three feet uh, to the foundation of the home. Uh, there was some nice research that was done at the University of Arizona in Tucson many years ago where they demonstrated uh, the cooling effect. They knew about the cooling effect that lawns can have, green lawns can have around buildings uh, because they maintain temperatures of about 95 degrees Fahrenheit uh, surface temperatures, and even if the air temperature is 110, 115, that grass still maintains, if it's green, <clears throat> still maintains about uh, about 95 degree temperature, surface temperature. And that has a cooling effect on on landscape, on the landscape itself and also on the building, and that translates into energy savings. So when you surround for instance, a building with in the desert with uh, a lawn, you can expect to have uh, a lower energy costs. The research that they did, they they knew that, so they replaced the lawn with uh, a shading of the walls on the south and west side of the building with desert landscape plants. And when they did shade the walls on that, they achieved about the same energy cost about 20-25% reduction in energy use uh, compared to surrounding the entire building with uh, rock. Uh, so they saved about 20-25%. The big mistake that you can make is leaving those south and west sides of the walls unprotected from the sun in the summertime. That's going to drive your energy costs up from your air conditioner. So You'll want to get some shade on that. As I do. Then I would use plants that are desert adapted. You know, sweet acacia is a good example. If that house is a two-story house, maybe you can go to trees that are 30, 35 feet tall. And if that's the case, maybe get them 10 or 12, 15 feet away from the house rather than so close to them. It keeps the branches from hitting them and damaging the house and also keeps the water away as well. <clears throat> so if it were me... I would make sure that part of my desert landscape would shade those south and west facing walls to save energy energy costs. As far as artificial turf grass goes, um, you know, you should have the same reason for planting it as you do any lawn. And that's not in the desert. That's not for aesthetics. That's for function. So if you have a putting green or something or you want some place for for uh, as for a lawn area and you want to use artificial grass, just remember that artificial grass is not irrigated. So you're still going to have, in full sunlight in the summertime, you're still going to have a surface temperature of an artificial lawn at 165, 170 degrees Fahrenheit. Whereas that lawn, because it's losing water all the time through transpiration and evaporation, it's going to have a much lower surface temperature. So if I were using artificial grass, I would put it in the shade. I would 
put it under trees or I'd put a some sort of a shade structure up and use it that way and have it as a functional area as part of your landscape if you're going to be using it at all just like you would have any for any grass at all the difference is you're going to be cleaning up an outside carpet aka grass uh, versus mowing it and fertilizing which is a lot of work on landscape areas so that would be my suggestion on that uh, the trees okay so I would be using would be that uh, so I think that uh, covers most of the questions that we have for this week as I'm looking through it all uh, join me uh, next week and I will be have some new topics to talk about I don't know what they are but I'll announce them and and uh, at the very beginning so that you can figure it out whether you want to listen or not. Thanks for listening, and uh, enjoy your desert landscapes.